Hello, and welcome to Life on Maine, a daily podcast of Life on Maine in Charlestown, New Hampshire, where we discuss living life on the main purpose as designed by God. I am Pastor Tim Golden, and on these podcasts, we focus on growing in relationship with God, maturing in the faith through His Word, stewarding our relationships with one another, as well as learning to make disciples as we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Each day highlights one of these facets of spiritual character, growth, and stewardship, so be sure to come back each day to grow a strong and healthy walk with the Lord. Now, let's see what the Holy Spirit wants to show us today. So if you would open up your Bibles to Colossians, Ephesians, and Romans this morning. We are going to be in all three of those locations, but we are going to start in Colossians chapter 3. Be looking at three of Paul's letters and things that he said to three churches because it's very important for us. And as you know, we've been in the series called Covenant Seekers, and today we are continuing our discussion of the one another's that we are called to do and called to be with each other. Again, we know that covenant does, unlike contracts, contracts assume failure. Covenant assumes success and follow through. And we are in covenant with God and we are in covenant with one another. And how many know you cannot be in covenant with God and not be in covenant with one another? You know, people that want to say, I love Jesus, but I can't stand the people. How many have heard that? Just, just by a show of hands, I mean, it, it's amazing the people out there that think that. But, you know, I, I have to question, do you really love Jesus? You know, or do you just have some form of you know, religiosity going on? I, I, there's times you won't like people, but you always love them. There are times people get under your skin, but doesn't family get under your skin once in a while? And you love them anyway. Amen. Amen. In fact, if anything, you learn to love them more through those times, don't you? Yes. So, so today we are going to be looking at another one of the one another's. And today we are primarily looking at the call to instruct one another. But I want us to start with Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. And this is what Paul had to say. Let the word of Christ have its home within you. Just chew on that for a little bit. I love that wording. Let the word of Christ have its home in you as you teach and admonish and train one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Lord, as we look at this concept of what it means to instruct one another and and what that carries with it lord not just in our responsibility to others but also in our responsibilities in our own walk god would you speak loudly to our hearts and transform us from within in jesus name amen, amen. let the word of christ have its home as you teach admonish and train one another God has called us as believers to have an impact on each other. And lots of times people have a mentality when they come into church that church is where I come to get fed. You know what? Of course, I have one response to that. Stop waiting for people to feed you. Pick up your fork and eat. (laughs) 
right? I mean, don't get me wrong. There's times that we do get fed by other people, but there's almost comes with that mentality and aspect that I come here to sit in my seat and I just want you to cram the stuff down my throat so I get nice, big, fat, and ugly, right? And how many know there's a lot of big, fat, ugly Christians? And I'm not talking physically. I'm talking spiritually. People that simply come into church just to get out of it what they can get out of it and then go on their merry way. And Christianity and their involvement in church just becomes really all about them. And it is all pride-driven. Now, don't get me wrong. When we come into church, does God feed us? Absolutely. Do we need to be fed and nourished? Absolutely. But if that's all it does and all we do is feed our gully, spiritually speaking, and we don't exercise spiritually, we get big, fat, and lazy, right? And so our faith and the, the amount in which we get fed should be minimal compared to the amount of activity that we do, should it not? Think about your physical life going through a normal day. How much of your day, and don't answer this, but how much of your day is actually spent eating? And how much of your life is spent doing stuff? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. some need to slow, some need to learn that resting concept that we heard about this morning, <laughs> right? But comparatively speaking, on average, if you really take your time, the average person spends no more than 15 minutes at the table per meal. So that's less than an hour if you're eating three meals a day. And you're awake basically for about 14 hours a day. So one hour is spent feeding yourself, the rest is spent living and doing. And it's very much in our own Christian walk, how much time do we spend sitting and simply feeding ourselves spiritually. And how much time are we actually out there doing things for Jesus? How much time are we actually spending making a difference? Or are we just about our Christianity to get what we can and then forget about everybody else? Right? Paul says here very specifically that we are to be seriously and actively engage in each other's lives. And we've talked about a number of those, whether you're loving them, whether you're encouraging them, whether you're serving them. But here he gives you another picture. He says, I want you to instruct one another. And what does that imply? That implies it is your job to do the feeding. It's not just your job to nourish yourself. It's your job also to help grow other people up in the faith. By providing nourishment. And in this verse, he lays out three very specific ways. And in these other verses, he lays out others. So we're going to come back to this Colossians 3.16. So you want to keep your finger in there. But I want you to flip over now to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, we're going to look at a number of verses here. Verses 15 to 21. Because to, to firmly get an understanding and before we can start really getting into this aspect of what it means to teach, admonish, and train, we need to understand what's got to come first. And this is in Ephesians 5. And he says this, and starting in verse 15, Paul says, Therefore, see that you walk carefully, not as the unwise, but as wise, making the very most of your time, because the days are evil. 
Therefore, do not be foolish and thoughtless, but understand and firmly grasp what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is wickedness, but be filled with the Spirit and constantly guided by him. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, being subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's a mouthful. And only briefly in there does he mention that we are to simply speak to one another. And speak how? In Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, making melody in our hearts to the Lord. In other words, it's having a transformed word. It's not making melody with our lips. Making melody in your hearts, it says there. So it's about creating some sort of a transformational work within. And you speak to people. But he says a number of things before he tells them to speak. Because speak doesn't happen until verse 19. And so before we can begin to really instruct or teach other people, we have to understand what verses 15 to 18 say that gives us the right then to speak. He starts in verse 15 saying this, Therefore see that you walk carefully. See that you walk carefully. What does that mean? It means live your life with honor, purpose, and courage, shunning those and these. Uh, things in your life that would enable and tolerate evil. Walk carefully. In other words, there's a lot of stuff you can step in if you don't. Because there's a lot of stuff around you that will want to get you a little dirty, spiritually speaking. Know where you're walking. If you're ever in warfare, you got to be very careful where you walk. Because you never know where the landmines are. They're usually buried, aren't they? And it's the same thing in our spiritual walk. There's a lot of things. It might not look like there's anything out there in that field. But underneath the surface, there's a lot of landmines wanting to take you out. Walk carefully. Look for where the ground has been disturbed. Look for those situations that on the surface might seem okay, but there's something inside that makes you think that maybe I shouldn't. In fact, I can almost guarantee you, if there's ever anything in your life that you're like, well, you know, you're wrestling with. Anybody ever been there? You wrestle with it because you, you, you have, you're encountered with something, but you can't recall a scripture verse about it. And so you begin to ask yourself, I wonder if this is okay. And nine times out of ten, when we start asking that, we figure, well, I can't find a verse, so I'm going to assume it is. My advice is just the reverse. Because if you even have to ask the question, if it's okay, is it? Or is the Holy Spirit already doing a convicting work within? Listen to that voice. Walk carefully because there may be some things that might be okay for Joe Schmo but may not be good for you because of where it can take you so walk carefully which implies you're doing this moving if all you're doing in your Christian walk is standing idly and if you look at your own Christian walk and you say well I'm happy that I'm where I was five years ago 
That's not good. You should be a lot further ahead now than you were five years ago. You should be a lot further ahead now than you were two years ago. Paul wrote this to the Corinthian church, said you're still living on milk after two years. You should be on meat by now. So, you know, walking and understanding that we've got to be moving and we've got to be advancing in our faith. But walk carefully as you do so. Shun the things that are evil. Then it goes on to say, not as the unwise, but as wise. As people that are sensible, as people that are intelligent and discerning. Able to look at things and be able to call a spade a spade. And then it says this, make, and, and one way that you can do this is by making the very most of your time on earth. Because the days are filled with evil. How many know the world looks a lot more evil today than it did even five years ago? Now here's, here, now here's a shocker. It is no more evil. Okay? It's just more, more overt now than it was. The evil is still the same. It's just being lived out, and you can't miss it anymore. You can't put the blinders on anymore. The days are filled with evil, and they're going to want to pull you every which direction. So if you're not serious about your walk, you will get dragged down. So what are you doing in your walk to make sure you stay, stay strong in the Lord? What are you doing to make sure that you are growing in him? Are you taking time in the word? You know, and this isn't rocket science. It's all stuff we know. But how, where's, where's your time in the word versus a year ago? Well, I still read it. Okay, that's good. Now let me ask you this question. When are you reading it? In your spare time? Or are you actually etching out time to spend time in the word? There's a, a book that I had a chance to read once. It had a lot of little one, you know, one-line quotes in it. And one of the things that stuck out in my mind was this. God wants your precious time, not your spare time. And too many times I think we as Christians give him our spare time. We, we fit him in where we think we can fit him in. How many of you would do that with somebody that you love dearly? You know, they, they want to spend some time with you. Oh, take a number, right? How long, how, how good do you think that relationship's going to last, right? <laughs> but yet we do that with God. God, I got this happening, I got that happening. I'll, I'll give you some time later tonight, you know, when everything kind of winds down and I can give you my undivided attention. See, we make it sound good because we listen to the enemy saying those things in our ears. And how many know that that time never comes until about 15 minutes before bed. And then what, what, what goes through your mind? I'm too tired. I'll do it tomorrow morning. And the enemy just keeps you living that lie of just pushing it out, just push it out, just push it out. And before long, it falls out of existence in your life. Walk carefully. Okay? What about your prayer time? What about time in worship? What about times with brothers and sisters in Christ that are maybe further along in their walk than you? You know, so you can learn from them. And are you spending time with people that are not as far along in their walk as you? So you can in turn instruct them. Walk carefully. The days are evil. 
The next thing we need to understand is verse 17. It says, therefore, do not be foolish and thoughtless, but understand and firmly grasp what the will of the Lord is. What is the will of the Lord for your life? It's simple. Grow in relationship with him. Before, there's any, before you do anything, it's got to start there. Before you even think about instructing others, before you even think about leading others, are you grasping the will of the Lord? And the will of the Lord is this, that he gave his only son to die for you. Why? So he could be in relationship with you. So it could be like it was in the days of Genesis where he walked with Adam in the cool of the day. That is his will for your life, to walk with you into that level. And even if you never did anything for him and you got that right, he'd be pleased. Though he, Because as you draw into that, you will ultimately do things for him. Because you can't be in that level of relationship and not. Okay, it will come. It, it comes with the package. But if you had to choose one or the other, that's what he ultimately desires for you. He would rather have you spend time with him and not do than to do all the righteous things for him and spend no time with him. Right? And it's biblical. Remember Mary and Martha. Right? Mary chose what was better. And what was the better? Sitting at the feet of Jesus when there was a lot of work to be done. Don't get the cart before the horse. So as you walk carefully in your own life, making sure you're striving to live righteously, and as you're striving to be in that right relationship with God, then it goes into verse 18. It says, don't get drunk with wine, for this that's wicked, which means it's corruption, right? But also means it's stupid. <laughs> that's another translation of the word. Wickedness is not only corrupt, it's stupidity. Don't get drunk with wine, for that's wickedness, but be filled with the Spirit the Holy Spirit, and constantly guided by him. Okay? So you're walking carefully. You're taking time to be in relationship with him. But now I'm going to allow him to fill me. And that's not a one-time thing. It's not like when you make that decision to, walk, to um, accept him as your Lord and Savior. There's a point in time when you made that decision, right? But being filled with the Spirit is an ongoing process. You read throughout the book of Acts, every time it mentions be that they were filled with the Holy Spirit, the actual um, translation of that from the original language would actually be, to be they were continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because how many know, on Sunday mornings, you, you, you probably leave church and you feel really full. You feel like you can conquer the world and you feel like you're finally holy and righteous. And then one o'clock Sunday afternoon comes. And what happened, right? And then you go to work on Monday, and then, <laughs> yeah, everything seems to go south, right? Did we lose the Holy Spirit? No, he still lives within. But there's an aspect where we have to continually be filled with his power, with our understanding of who he is, and of our determination to follow him. And to let him guide our every step. So as you walk carefully, spend time in relationship with him, constantly go to him and, and rely on his strength, call upon his strength, upon his ability to love. Because how many know your love falls short with everybody? But his never does. 
okay? So you're allowing the Holy Spirit to fill you with everything that you need for this life. Then and only then does he go on to mention, now speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Always giving thanks to God the Father for all things. So God is still the focus. It's not this. Do you understand that? It's not the relationships here that's the focus. God is still the ultimate focus. But it plays out in the way we speak and the way we communicate with one another. And then 21 really encapsulates it all by saying this. Being subject. Some translations say submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Who loves that word? Not a lot of people. Because submission implies disagreement. Submission implies that you think one thing, I think something different, and now I take my feelings and I align them underneath another. But how are we submitting ourselves? Out of reverence for Christ. Submitting ourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. So in other words, as we're submitting, it is a form of worship to God. And again, remember, when are we being subject? It's when we've been making the, uh, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, making melody in our heart to the Lord. So he's our focus. Now we can submit to each other. Why? Because we're following the same conductor. We're listening to the same voice. So now we submit to one another. And now what that does is that brings my own fleshly stuff now under submission of God. And notice it's not just saying I need to submit to you. It's also you need to submit to me. It's mutual at the same time. Much the way a marriage should be, right? That's how we have to live. That's how we need to come at this concept of instructing. So now look, turn over to Romans 15, verse 14. Romans chapter 15, verse 14 says this, Personally, I am convinced about you. How many, if, if Paul was writing to you, those would be really good words to hear. Because Paul was not one to pull his punches. If he had an issue with you, he'd let you know. But here, Paul starts off in this chapter in Romans saying, Personally, Roman, Roman church, I am convinced about you, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, amply filled with all knowledge, that would be spiritual knowledge, and competent to admonish, counsel, and instruct one another. I see, as I look at you, church, that you're full of goodness. You've, in other words, you've got the Ephesians 5 stuff working in your life. Everything we just talked about in Ephesians 5, he's saying, that is at play. And because of that, you are now amply filled with all spiritual knowledge that's necessary for you to do something. And he says, you're competent. Now notice, he's not instructing them. He is making an assumption here. That if, if you are living the Christian life, you should be admonishing, counseling, and instructing one another. It's one of those things that comes with the package. So what are these three things? Well, to admonish simply means to warn. It's to advise somebody of their faults. Now, it's not to condemn them. 
Okay, do we understand the difference? But we do have a responsibility if we see a brother or a sister walking down a dangerous path, we are required by God to lovingly redirect them on that and to point out to them what maybe needs to change. And how many know to say to not say actually shows that I don't love them. Have you ever seen some parents like this? I just let my kids do whatever they want. And our quick response is, that's not love. Because that means you really don't care about them. If you really cared about them, you'd want to raise them up in the way they should go so that when they are old, they won't depart from it. You have a responsibility to warn one another when you see something in their lives that could be dangerous for them spiritually. But don't just point it out. Have you ever known people that do that? You know what? Well, the Bible says you shouldn't do this. Okay, now you basically told me what I don't need to do, but you haven't given me any ways in which to kind of get beyond it. So you first admonish, and then you counsel. Now, I'm not saying counsel like the world counsels. Well, just tell me about your feelings. You know? Don't get me wrong. There's a place for that. But if all it is is about talking about your feelings and not coming up with any solutions, it's all for nothing. It's to help them understand, this is where you are. It's not very becoming of you as a believer. This is how the Bible shows us how we are to live. So counsel with them. Find out what's going on. Find out what's making them tick. Why is this even in their lives? And be a, be a listening ear. Be a listening heart to them. But also be willing to offer biblical advisement where it's needed and then then you instruct then you begin to show because they may be where they are because they don't know the steps of how to get out that's your job then point them in those steps but don't just point them in it walk it with them Colossians let's go back there Colossians 3 verse 16 Remember, it started off there, said, let the word of Christ have its home within you. That actually properly translated is, let the spoken word of Christ. What's the spoken word? Scriptures. Have its what? Home in you. It lives with you. Everywhere you go, it's impacting your life. You can't separate it from you. While I go to church on Sunday... And then I go out and I live like the devil the rest of the week. Or maybe you've heard it this way. You know, we're coming up in election years here soon. And how many presidents have we heard over the years? I'm a Christian, but I just don't let my Christian impact my decisions. If the word of Christ actually has its home in you, it can't help but impact your decisions. And if it's not impacting your decisions, I would question whether you've really got Christ. Let it dwell in your heart, let it dwell in your mind, let it permeate every aspect of you. As you teach and admonish and train. So I'm teaching, but it's not just teaching. You caught that word train in there. What does training involve? I'm there as you're doing it. 
So that way I can see what you're doing right, but I can also see what maybe needs to be tweaked. Anyone here ever work out at a gym and have a personal trainer there at any point in time? Don't ask why I keep using all these exercise things. I obviously, God could use people better qualified than me on this. You know, we t last week I think it was the bench pressing. Today we're talking about this, right? But if you've ever had a personal trainer, what are they there to do? They're there to root you on. But when they see you having poor posture, they point it out to you. Why? Because they're mean and they're bad people? No. They don't want you to hurt yourself. Right? And, and so that's what comes into this training. It's like you see something wrong in somebody's life, so, so you offer encouragement that, to them as far as they can continue with this. And watch them. See how, the, how they're walking. Walk it with them. And when you see them exercising bad form, help them out in that. And if they want to say, you're judging me, Remind them, no, I'm doing this because I love you. I do this because I care. Anyone here ever watching a show on Food Network? It's got out of the exercise room and into something I'm more familiar with, right? <laughs> One of my favorite shows that I used to love to hate or hate to love, whichever it is, was Restaurant Impossible. Anybody oh, yeah. ever see that one? You know, and, and, and I forget what the guy's name is that uh, was the host of that show, but he would come into these rooms and he talks nice to them at first. And then he said, so bring, bring me your food. I'm going to taste it. And then he makes every face known to man, acts like he's going to vomit, and actually yells at the people. To the point that usually people end up being... Why did we even ask you here? I always wanted to ask, well, haven't you seen the show, you know, before you, you know, asked him to come? But usually what ends up happening is he pushes them to the nth degree. But then what is it? It's like, look, the reason I do this is because I want to see you succeed. But sometimes seeing somebody succeed is being willing to say the hard things. But say them in love, Right? But walk it with them. I mean, when, when he's there working with those restaurants, he's there from sunup to sundown, you know? And he's putting forth just as much effort as those guys are, if not more, helping them to succeed. How about you when you see a brother or sister in Christ in need? Are you putting as much energy in as they are? You know? Now, be careful. Because you can sometimes put too much energy into somebody and they show no desire to change. And there comes a point where you then have to pray and ask God for grace as far as, you know, to be able to discern, is this good? Should this continue? Do you want me to keep just reaching out to them for a season or is it time now to back off? You know, have I done all that I can do there? Now you have to bring somebody else into their life, you know. But make sure if that's the decision you make, it's being made because God directed you, not because you get frustrated with somebody. Amen? So it is our job to grow up the body of Christ, not just the pastor's job. You're in relationship with each other. And you know, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, my mom and dad could say things. And I'd hear them, but like most kids, you'd go in one ear and write out the other. You know what I mean, right? They, they, they would offer some great advice, and I, and I could reiterate it. But you know what? My brothers could come to me and say the same exact thing, and it seemed to carry a whole lot more clout. Why? 
Why is that the case with us? I think it's because we, we tend to see them on the same level as we are, and we give them a little, you know, we expect it from our parents. But when our brothers and sisters end up saying and pointing things out, wow, maybe there really is something to what mom and dad had to say. Maybe I do need to pay attention to this. And, and there's power that comes in that. There, there's power that you will have in each other's lives that I cannot have, simply because of your role. Amen? I saw this lived out in my own life, and we can close with this. And it happened when we were in, when we first came into the pastoral role uh, down in Keene, uh, Hope Chapel there, uh, serving alongside Joe Mabe. And he ended up asking people the Sunday that they brought us in as assistant pastor. He said, how many people here have been ministered to and have found that you're, you've been discipled well by Tim and Tamara? I was expecting a handful of people, and over 75% of the congregation raised their hands. And I was just like, whoa. I had no idea. But you know, and it was a great honor to be placed in that role as assistant pastor, but I always say it's kind of the double-edged sword because it was a great honor, but it was also, in some ways, felt like a curse. Because all of a sudden, the minute I got the title, relationships changed. All of a sudden, people didn't come to me like they once did. They weren't as transparent as they once were. I, and I don't know why that is. But with our brothers and sisters in Christ, for some reason or another, we feel we can be just a little bit more real. You know? So, use that. You know, in a good way. You know, don't use people, but use that. Okay? And minister into people's lives. But understand this. Your role is never just to be the Paul in somebody's life. That very person you're discipling, you've got to be willing to let them disciple you on occasion. There's times in my life as your pastor, I've been convicted because of some things in my own life and some things that you guys have shared that have helped me get my walk even a little bit closer. Okay? And that should be the impact we have on each other. Amen? So be willing to love on each other and instruct each other. Lord God, we give you honor and praise. We thank you that we do live in a great family here known as Life on Main. God, we just ask that you'd help us. Um, to continue to live out our faith in the world, but also with one another. And in a way that, God, we will always first look at ourselves before we strive to instruct somebody else to make sure that our own lives are where they need to be. But, God, that we also, as we do instruct others, to allow them also to disciple us where, they, where we need it. And, God, to be able to hear your voice through each other. And, God, we give you honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to thank you for tuning into today's broadcast. We pray that it was beneficial for you. Be sure to tune in tomorrow for another episode of Life on Main. You can learn more about our church by visiting our website at lifeonmain.org. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash lifeonmain, where you can learn about upcoming events and find links to videos of these broadcasts and sermons. You can also view our sermons on our YouTube channel at bit.ly slash lifeonmain with each of those words capitalized. Thanks for listening to Life on Main and may God bless you.